0: Chapter 23 of the Black Motor Car. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kier in Auckland, New Zealand. The Black Motor Car by Harris Berland. Chapter 23 Northward. Lady Agnes Cliff had disappeared as completely as though the ground had swallowed her up. She had left the house at about six o'clock without the knowledge of her parents. One of the gardeners had seen her cross the lawn and go down through the gate into the park. The evening was a fine one, but there appeared to be no reason why she should have chosen to take a walk so late in the afternoon. It was probable, therefore, that she had gone out on some special errand. One of the footmen, on being questioned by Lord Heatherstone, reported that he had handed her a letter about three-thirty. It had come in by the afternoon post. No trace of the letter could be found in her bedroom, and she had evidently destroyed it or taken it with her. No special notice was taken of her absence till dinner-time, when she failed to put in an appearance. The search commenced at once, and continued all night and the whole of the next day. Messengers were dispatched in every direction in the hope of finding someone who had seen her, but they brought back no information and the searchers in the park found no traces of a struggle or anything that would point to an act of violence. But late that afternoon, a sailor, rather the worse for liquor, came up to the hall and reported that about six o'clock the previous evening he'd seen a large motor-car running along the road at the foot of the park. It was too dark for him to distinguish the number of the occupants, or even the colour of the car. He further explained, with a tinge of pride, that he was in no fit state to see anything clearly, having just returned from a long voyage, and having spent most of the previous day in the plough and sail at Gorchaven, This news, told somewhat incoherently, sent a thrill of horror through those who listened to the speaker. There was no doubt in anyone's mind that Lady Agnes had fallen into the hands of the arch-ruffian William Georderson. There appeared, however, to be no reason for her abduction, unless it had been carried out in the hope of obtaining a ransom. This method of obtaining money did not seem practicable in a civilised and open country. It was possible in the mountains of Spain or Greece, but hardly to be imagined in the lanes and marshes of Essex. The next morning, however, two people knew why Lady Agnes had disappeared. Both Lady Heatherstone and Arthur Home received letters from Geordeson himself. They had been posted from Upwithing, a small village in Yorkshire, and were somewhat similar in their contents one which would have certainly surprised lord heatherstone ran as follows dear marie it may be possible to strike you through the death of one you love one day i hope to strike a harder and more final blow w j lady heatherstone burned the letter and was silent as to its contents the other ran thus dear mr home the life of the woman you love is in my hands you know the price of her release w j this letter was brought out to arthur home as he was spending a few days on the rover preparatory to the start of his campaign in gloucestershire from the bearer of it he heard the first news of the disappearance of lady agnes cliff he hurriedly thrust some things in a bag, returned in the man's boat, and drove thirty miles to Heatherstone Hall. Lord Heatherstone received him in the library, and told him the little that was known about the affair. In return, Arthur Home handed him the letter. The Earl read it through twice, and then glanced keenly at the young man. "'So, Jordiston is alive,' he said. "'And it was one of his servants who perished in the fire.' It seems so, Holm replied. Do you know Jordison's writing? Lord Heatherstone asked. No, answered Holm frankly. I do not. This may be the work of some practical joker. It can be easily verified, said Lord Heatherstone. What price does this man expect you to pay? Did you ever meet him before you came across him at the Red House? and lord heatherstone watched Holmes's face carefully as he asked the question never Holmes replied emphatically he's a madman and, and wishes to know something which i am unable to tell him then he has no real cause for disliking you none whatever Holmes replied but he turned his eyes away from lord heatherstone's keen gaze as he answered the question he knew very well why Jordison disliked him the shifting of the eyes did not escape lord heatherstone's notice and he made a mental note that home had told him a lie lord harry key is here he said after a pause he came down last night to see if he could help us in any way you will of course stay the night we shall be glad of your company and perhaps between the three of us we may be able to work out some solution of this problem ah here's harry himself lord harry key came towards them hesitated a moment, and then shook hands silently with Home. The two young men had not met for several months. A certain coolness had sprung up between them, in spite of their strenuous efforts to resist any feelings of jealousy. Their correspondence had died down to the exchange of an occasional formal letter, dealing with political matters. Lord Harry, to whom Lord Heatherstone had unburdened his soul in the first heat of anger against Arthur Home, felt that his friend had not acted quite honestly toward him. Home, who had for a long time fought against the dictates of his own heart out of loyalty to his friend bitterly resented the imputation which though it had never been expressed in words had been made manifest by lord harry's manner toward him but all the red passions grow pale in the presence of death the girl they both loved was either dead or else in the hands of a madman who had hitherto let nothing stand between him and his desires they were united by a common bond and resolved to save or avenge her the bond was sealed in silence by a single clasp of their hands its terms were not set forth in words but it was understood that they worked together without regard to what the future held for either of them after dinner they sat that evening over the smoking-room fire and thrashed out the whole question of where it would be best to search for william jorderson Lord Heatherstone admitted that it would be like looking for a needle in a haystack. Lord Harry Key, who had come down from London on a new motor car of extraordinary power and speed, thought that he would be able to trace Georderson to his hiding place if he could once get fairly started on a warm trail. Home, whose ideas were local, thought that Georderson was in the neighbourhood, and that the letter posted from Upwithing in Yorkshire was a mere blind. He could assign, so he said, no other motive for the writing of such a letter the next morning after an early breakfast at eight o'clock lord harry key took arthur home round to the stables to inspect the new motor-car it had been manufactured by a well-known firm and had only just been put on the market it represented the last word of the motor world in regard to power and speed it was an eight-cylinder car one hundred and twenty indicated horsepower and had attained at a recent speed trial the terrific pace of ninety-seven miles an hour it had cost four thousand pounds in appearance it was long low hung wide and ugly it had not yet received its final coat of paint and was coloured a dull grey like a modern battleship the luxurious padded seats of the modern car were conspicuous by their absence for lord harry had not yet decided on the type of body there were only two seats, and these were little more than a framework of steel. The general aspect of the machine was that of the human body stripped of its flesh and showing only the bones and muscles. Arthur Home looked at the unsightly object in silence. He could not pretend to feel the admiration that Lord Harry Key expressed in every feature, but he realized that the mere ugliness of the thing spoke well for its serviceable qualities. Evidently, no money had been wasted on outward show or decoration— "'She's a beauty, isn't she?' said Lord Harry, after looking at it for a minute or two in silent admiration. "'Mmm,' replied Holmes. "'how fast do you say?' "'I shall get one hundred miles an hour out of her when her engine's settle down a bit. "'Do you think you can beat Jordison's car?' "'I've never seen it, but I reckon this car would walk around any car that was ever made. "'The sister car is racing three days from now against some of the finest cars in the world.' The makers are betting even money against the field. Home looked at it critically. He did not know anything about motor cars. He could have criticised the lines of a yacht, but this ugly grey lump of machinery was outside his sphere of knowledge. He saw, however, that it might be very useful to him in tracking down Jordison if it represented all that it was claimed for it. "'I tell you what we'll do, Harry,' he said after a pause. "'If you will consent,' "'We will start in an hour's time for upwithing in Yorkshire, "'and see if we can find any trace of Jordison having been there. "'Then we'll come back here and thoroughly examine the whole of Essex. "'I am still convinced that Jordison is hiding not far from this very house.' "'Where do you think he is? Somewhere in the marshes?' "'Yes, it seems ridiculous, doesn't it? "'The marshes are better adapted for a yacht than a motor-car, "'but they would offer an excellent place for concealment.' For the most part, they are totally uninhabited, and almost inaccessible. Lord Harry smiled. "'You forgot the motor,' he said. "'No motor could possibly be hidden in the marshes, "'for the simple reason that it could not be driven across them. "'It would have to be concealed somewhere near the road. "'Every inch of the road has been searched, "'and no one has discovered any hiding-place "'that would conceal a large car like Jordison's.' "'You're quite right, Key,' Home answered gloomily. "'The marshes are out of the question. "'He must have concealed himself somewhere else in Essex.' "'Or in England,' Lord Harry replied. "'It is, as Lord Heatherstone said last night, "'like looking for a needle in a bundle of hay. "'For my own part, I don't think he's in this part of the world at all. "'It's naturally the last place he would choose for a hiding-place.' "'And therefore one that would commend itself to a clever scoundrel,' said Holm do you remember poe's story of the purloined letter it will at any rate be hopeless to search all of england a good many people are in the hunt key replied ten thousand pounds is a lot of money i should say that every square mile of the united kingdom has been searched during the last month or two and yet nothing has been found the car has only once been seen and that was on the road at the bottom of the park the man who saw it was not sober at the time and may have been mistaken seems hopeless.' "'We are bound to hear something,' Lord Harry replied. "'And if we do, we shall be in a position to follow it up. "'I wager that if we once catch sight of Mr. Jordison's car, we shall overtake it.' "'And he looked admiringly at the one horsepower monster before him. "'When will you be ready to start?' "'In about an hour. "'We'd better take a bag with a few things for each of us. "'There's no knowing when our journey will end.' "'No.' answered Home, nor what we shall find at the end of it. But I will not rest until Jordison is brought to the gallows. Nor I, said Lord Key. Home held out his hand, and his friend took it in silence. At half-past ten in the morning the grey car glided down the drive and into the open country, and before dark it had reached the little village of Upwithing in Yorkshire. End of chapter 23